Well, good afternoon and a Merry Christmas. If you are new, if you're visiting, welcome to our Christmas service. And as Elder Basil mentioned, we will have a small Christmas cafe. We'll break down chairs and set up some tables and we'll have hot drinks and also some pastries. And then you might be thinking, well, Pastor Eric, you're a little bit late here, uh, a little bit late for Christmas. But whatever, right? Uh, whoever complained about extending Christmas? In fact, we Christians, we celebrate the person and the work of Jesus Christ every Sunday. His incarnation, his life and teaching, his death, his resurrection and ascension to the Father. So whether you call it Advent or whether you call it Christmas or holiday, Holy Day, we rejoice in Christ our Savior every Sunday just as the angels who flew over Bethlehem sang glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and good wheel toward men. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to our text this afternoon to Colossians, to Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2. And for context's sake, I'll read verse 8, but our focus will be on verse 9. Verses 8 and 9. Colossians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8. Hear God's word. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Almighty God, we know that those little hands that were once in the manger will one day grasp the scepter of the universal empire. Lord, we know that the little arms in the manger would grapple with sin and death and defeat the greatest enemy. We know that the little feet that were in the manger would tread upon the serpent's neck and crush the deceiver's head, even as you promised in the garden. From those infant lips will pour forth words of eternal life. And from his mouth will come the pronouncements of heaven on the destinies of all mankind. Lord, we turn our attention now to the words of Christ. We turn our full attention to the word of the living God. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening, listening not to a man or to a preacher, but to Almighty God through the preaching of Holy Scripture. Bless, we pray, your word in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. What an appropriate text for Christmas. What an appropriate text. Friends, we live in a world, in a culture, that is cheating us. That is, as Paul says, vain and empty. Aware or not, many are being deceived. And to give the benefit of the doubt, many of the deceivers are perhaps in earnest. And yet, they are earnestly deceived. And so while they operate in earnest, they are nonetheless operating under the deception. Paul piles on the synonyms. You heard them. Philosophy, empty deceit, 
the traditions of men, the basic principles of the world. And Paul is warning the, Christ, uh, the Christians in Colossae. He says this, verse 8, Beware, take heed. The NASB reads, See to it. In other words, make sure that you are not taken captive. Taken in by worldly ideology and philosophy, by worldly thinking. Beloved, I'm not sure that you know this, but these worldviews, these, these worldly values and principles and traditions, friends, they are captors. They, they have the power to capture us. Paul says to take us captive. And so he says, see to it. He says, ensure, make sure that no one takes you captive. Again, my translation says, beware. Beloved church, there is great danger here. This warning was true in Paul's day and is true today in our day and age where politics, as you well know, has become the new religion. And culture seems more like cult than culture. Brothers and sisters, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You say, Pastor Eric, calm down. It's Christmas for Pete's sakes. Feliz Navidad. Calm down. And you know what? You're right. I hear you. What I'm trying to do here is set the context for verse 9. Where Paul, what he does in verse 9 is he dives into the endless ocean of the person of Jesus Christ. That the fullness of God, that the fullness of deity, of the Godhead, the infinity and infinitude of God dwelt and dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is a great mystery right here in this verse. Namely, the profound and inexplicable mystery of the incarnation. That God would dwell fully and completely and truly in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, there's a great mystery here. That infinite and uncontainable God could dwell and dwells in a finite, containable body. Friends, this truth, this mystery, this person, namely incarnate God, Jesus Christ, friends, the truth of His person, hear it now, protects us from the world. The truth of His person protects us from the world from worldliness and from worldly worldviews, from worldly thinking. The person of Jesus Christ, that He is completely God and completely man, this truth protects us from worldly ideology and philosophy, from the traditions of men and the basic principles of the world that Paul lists out in verse 8. Do not, do not live according to the world's principles. They do not accord, Paul says, with Christ. I dare say, beloved, that if we're more focused on Jesus Christ, each one of us, this Christmas and always, always focused on His person and work, I, I dare say that we wouldn't be taken in by all of the political agendas, by the culture wars, by race wars, and by the COVID hysteria that is out there today. If our focus was on the person of Christ, 
his person and work, not only would we not be taken in or taken captive, but we would in fact grow in love for our neighbor, for our community, for those who are in need. Our concern for souls would grow and our desire to see God glorified among the non-believing world, well, we would be compelled then to share the gospel, the good news of God's salvation around dinner tables and, and in our communities and at our local Starbucks with family and friends and with, with co-workers. If our focus were on Christ, on His person and work, we wouldn't be looking for fulfillment, for purpose, for justice or righteousness. We wouldn't be looking for or to something else to complete us, to fill us. Paul says, look at verse 10. He says, you, Christian, you, we, listen to this. He says, we're complete in him. We are complete in him. For all of you Greek nerds, and I think there's a few of you out there, here's a mouthful. This is a perfect passive periphrastic participle. Okay? In other words, our, our being filled, our completeness was accomplished in Christ. It's a past action. It has continuing results. But the emphasis here is a, it's on our present state. Friends, we are complete. We are full and filled in Him, in Christ. This is what we are. And in case you didn't notice, There it is, Paul's favorite phrase again from last week. We are complete where? In Him. In Christ. That is who we are. That is what we are in Him. In other words, right now. Right now. And perpetually, we are complete in Him. He is our all and all. And we need look nowhere else and to no one else. And so Paul says... For this Christmas season and always, he says, look to Christ. Turn to Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. We, you, are complete in Him. He says, because in Him, because, he says, for in Him dwells everything that we need and and everything that we could have ever longed for. Namely, all of God. All of God. But God in a form that is accessible to us in bodily form, Paul says. So that transcendent God is also, transcendent God who is beyond His creation is also Emmanuel, God with us. Infinite God came down to dwell with us in the person of Jesus Christ. He condescended from glory in the person of Christ. And it is Christ that we turn to, not not to the traditions of men, not to worldly principles or philosophies. These, my friends, are empty and deceptive. But in Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. And we will find our fullness, our completeness in Him. Friends, what an excellent text this is for Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Well, the context is set here. We turn our attention now to the person of Jesus. That He is truly God and truly man. Friends, Jesus Christ is completely God and completely man. And we'll take each one of those one at a time 
His deity and then his humanity. That is, two whole, perfect, distinct natures were inseparably joined in one person. So that Jesus Christ represents humanity and deity in indivisible oneness. Let me say that again. Two whole, perfect, distinct natures were inseparably joined in one person. So that Jesus Christ represents humanity and deity in indivisible oneness. And again, friends, there's a great mystery here. Two natures in one person. Jesus Christ is not God and man. Rather, he is, as our elder said, the God-man. One person, two natures. Now that much is clear in our passage. Deity, Paul says, in bodily form. And again, we'll take those one at a time. Friends, Jesus Christ is truly and he is completely God. And the word that Paul uses in verse 9, if you look down there, translated as deity in some of your translations, Godhead in my translation, this word refers to the nature and to the very essence of God. In other words, all of God. The fullness of God dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. And so there, again, is another mystery behind this mystery. The mystery of Christ's person. There's another mystery, namely the mystery of the Trinity. One divine essence, three eternal persons. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here, here we read that the fullness of our triune God dwelt and dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. The fullness of deity. In bodily form. You remember Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2. That the second person of the Godhead. The eternal son of God. He took the form of a bondservant. And he came in the likeness of men. Beloved, scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is very God. A very God. He is truly and completely God. And I suggest to you. That if he were not then He could not save us from our sins. Sin, as we say around here, sin committed against an infinitely holy God is an infinitely heinous act and deserves an infinitely long and horrible punishment. If Jesus Christ was merely a man, as the Mormons teach, as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, if He were just a man, Let's say that he was a sinless man, a perfect man, but just a man. If he were just a man, then his life, his perfect sinless life, would only be good enough to atone for one other person. Life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If he were just a finite man, then he would have been as finite as each one of us. And thus, A finite man would never have been able to pay for sin, for for sinners, for, for one sin, much less the sins of the entire world. For sin, which is an infinitely heinous act. You see, he had to be fully God. Man cannot save man. Finite man cannot redeem finite man from the infinitely long and horrible 
punishment that we deserve. That is impossible. But here, beloved, hear the good news of the gospel this afternoon. Only God can save. Well, who, who then can be saved? They asked. You remember, they asked Jesus this question. Who then can be saved? And then Jesus told them in no uncertain words. He said this, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things, even the most impossible, namely the redemption of lost sinners. Friends, only God can save. And let me say to you this afternoon, He does save. He came to save. The Bible teaches us that He came to save His people from their sins. Friends, that is what the name Jesus means. Yehoshua. This name, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, His name will be Jesus because or for He will deliver His people from their sins. Hear it this afternoon. Not if this is not he might save. This is not try to save. Jesus, he didn't come here in, in hopes that he might save. No, this is not an attempt to save, but this is he will save. He will save. Amen? Amen. This is what his name means it means that God saves, that Yahweh saves. This is what Jesus means. The Savior is and must be God. Fully, completely, truly God. The fullness of deity must dwell in Him. For only, only infinite God could absorb in Himself the eternal punishment that sinners deserve. And not just for one person, you understand. For one soul. But for a countless multitude. For His people. For their sins. For our sins. For your sins, beloved. Not one of your sins. Not some of your sins. Not the majority of your sins. But all of your sins. Every last one of them. For the ones you don't even remember. For the ones you weren't aware of. The ones that, that you've, you've tried to hide. He died for the sins that that you thought about committing, for the, for the ones that you're struggling with now, for the ones that you will struggle with in the future, sins of omission and sins of commission, He will save His people from their sins. And I am here to tell you that He has saved His people from their sins. I am living proof. We are living proof. Every last one of us, all of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. We are His name's sake. He saves us from our sins. That is His name. My friends, if He were not God, if the fullness of deity did not dwell in Him bodily, well then, He would have been incapable of saving. Incapable of saving just one person, much less his people. But you see, beloved, it is as the old hymn teaches, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, 
but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Only God can save and He does save. His name will be Jesus for He will deliver His people from their sins. Thus was fulfilled what was spoken. Thus is fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Only God can save. If he were not God, then he would not be the Savior, our Savior. But Paul tells us that in him, in Jesus Christ dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Now, What tends to happen in in most of our minds is that the truth of Jesus' deity overtakes and overshadows the truth of his humanity. So, instead of a truly God and truly man, in our minds, he becomes truly God and kind of man. Kind of man, but, but not really man, because after all, he's God. And friends, the Bible and God's word never does that. It does not allow that. And I suggest to you that that thought can lead to some dangerous heresy. Beloved, He is completely God and completely man. He is true humanity. The truth of His deity in no way swallows or nullifies His true humanity. No, He is truly and completely man. If He were not, then He could not be our Savior. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. You see, he must be man. He must be human. Else he could not and would not be able to mediate on our behalf. He, he wouldn't be our advocate before the Father. Now, the union of these two natures in one person does not produce some kind of mixture where the divine nature is kind of just mixed up with the human friends the bible doesn't teach that mix in fact the bible clearly teaches that the deity of christ is not changed into flesh nor the flesh transformed into deity no they they remain distinct and yet they're united they're conjoined and yet unmixed in the one person of the savior Now, you could look this up. This is what theologians call the hypostatic union or the Chalcedonian formula. We could do a little Wikipedia search for that tonight in your quiet time. But friends, he is, as we said, the God-man, representing humanity and deity in indivisible oneness. Listen to Athanasius. He's a 4th century church father. Uh, Perhaps the most important early church father. Athanasius, he illustrates this mystery that we're unpacking here, the mystery of the person of Christ by comparing the two natures in one person to, as you remember, the burning bush. You remember the burning bush, right? In Exodus chapter 3. Quote, Athanasius says this, the fire signifies the divine nature and the bush, the human. The bush is a branch springing up from the earth. The fire descends from heaven. As the bush was united to the fire, yet was not consumed by the flame, nor burned, there remained a difference between the bush and the fire. Yet the properties of the fire shined 
in the bush so that the whole bush seemed to be on fire. So, in the incarnation of Christ, the human nature is not swallowed up by the divine, nor changed into it, nor confounded with it, but so united that the properties of both remain firm. Two are so become one that they remain still two. One person in two natures, containing the glorious perfections of the divine and the weakness of humanity. And then Athanasius quotes our verse, Colossians 2.9, the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. So, let's take a step back. We say, great, now that I understand one of the deepest and profoundest truths of the Christian faith, now that it's straight in our mind, let's turn to the humanity of Jesus. Now, in order to save us, he must be God, for only God can save. And in order to save us, he must be us. He must be us. He must be like us to stand in our place and to mediate on our behalf. He, he came, as you well know, so that we might come to Him. He came to us so that He might bring us to God. He was made like us so that He might make us like God. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And now in Jesus Christ, Holy and transcendent God becomes accessible to us. He's not like us in the sense that he's a sinner, but he is absolutely human. He is, if you will, the truest human who ever was human. And so if you want to know God, then come to Jesus Christ. And we can come to him. You can come today because he has already come to us. His humanity makes access to God possible. You remember this passage. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As you know, He was made like us to take and and to bear our punishment, the punishment that we deserve. Our punishment was transferred to Him. It was imputed to Him. And so perhaps you're not a Christian, you're thinking, why is there a cross in Christianity? Why this death? Why this gruesome scene? How can this be the center of a world religion? Well, friends, let me tell you, He came in order to take our punishment Our punishment was transferred to Him. Our punishment was imputed to Him. Our sin and the punishment of our sin was laid upon Jesus Christ. He was born, the Bible says, under the law. Born of a woman. Born under the law. Why? In order to redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 14. And if he weren't, if if he were not born under the law, then we would not be redeemed, much less adopted. We, We would not be redeemed from the very thing that condemned us. The law demands that punishment, punishment be administered to lawbreakers, to sinners. Every last person on this planet is a lawbreaker and a sinner. The law is holy, it is just and righteous. 
Because God is all of these things. And it is his law that we have broken. And that law requires judgment. It requires punishment. The wages of sin, death. And so he was born, you understand now, he was born then under that law. He was born of a woman to become like us to bear the punishment. Born under the law. In other words, he was born diable and killable. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For us. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. And let's read it together. Follow along, verse 14. The author of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 2.14. He says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shares in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And so you see, the author of Hebrews is teaching us that he partook of, he partook of flesh and blood. He, he shared in the same as truly and completely man. Why? In order to destroy the devil. In order to abolish his power. Sin, as you know, entered into the world through Adam. Brought about by the devil's temptation. From this we know that the devil exercises power in the realm of death. Sin and death. But these friends have been defeated. They've been destroyed in the work of Christ. Because he absorbed the full punishment of sin. And he, as you know, defeated death. It was and is swallowed up in victory. You remember from 1 Corinthians 15. We no longer fear what Christ has defeated and destroyed. We don't need to fear because, we don't need to fear death because, friends, Christ already died. And he is now alive. He already died for me and now lives for me. What's more, verse 17, the author of Hebrews says this, He was made like us, like his brethren. Why? To be our high priest. In other words, to be our mediator. He, he represents, on the one hand, divinity and and humanity on the other hand. Friends, he suffered, he was tempted, and was in a very real sense the truest human who ever lived. And thus, he is able, he is able to help us. He is able to help you when you struggle and when you're tempted. Friends, it is a lie from the pit of hell to think that Jesus can't or doesn't understand our struggles and our temptations. He understands better than, well, friends, better than we do. And he can help because he knows. He is merciful and he is faithful. It's not that he doesn't know. 
It's that we have failed to understand that he knows all too well. For he himself is truly and completely man. For in him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And listen, beloved, this Christmas and always, he is all that you need. He is all that you need. You are complete in him. Just ask yourself, what do I need? What do I, what do I want? What do I need? Oh, I, I need my kids to be healthy. I need, uh, I need that house so that I could start a family. I need that. What do you need? Listen to this Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We can apply that right now because Christ is our fullness. He is all that you need. You are complete in Him. Beware and take heed lest we look for completeness anywhere else and in anyone else. If you don't know Christ this afternoon, if you're not a Christian, The Bible calls and commands you to come to Christ, to repent and to turn away from your sins and to turn to the Savior. Put your full trust in Him. He was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. He was veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. He is, as Elder Mike preached, the greatest gift that you will ever receive the greatest gift that was given by the greatest giver who ever gave. And so may today be the day of your salvation. Glory to God in the highest. Let's come to Him in prayer. Gracious and sovereign God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before You humbled by our sin, and our unworthiness. What's more, we are humbled that you would elect us, that you would send your Son to save the likes of us, the righteous for the unrighteous, the Son of God for sons and daughters of disobedience. We have already given and received gifts, many of us, this past week, but the greatest gift of all has already been given as well. The greatest gift given by the greatest giver, Oh Lord, thank you for sending your Son. Light from light, true God from true God, eternally begotten and not made. Completely God and thus able to save to the utmost. Truly and completely man and thus he is able to stand in our place as our substitute. For in him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We rejoice in so great a salvation and in so great a Savior. He is all of our hope and peace. And we have placed our full trust in Him, the God-man. Our security is in Christ, not in this world, and not in ourselves, but in the risen and ascended Savior, who ever lives now to intercede on our behalf as our great High Priest. It is in His holy and powerful name that we pray. Amen.